Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Knute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from the Executive Director of the Western Grain Elevator Association. Also, Glenda Lee Allen Vosser will have details on a new climate solutions initiative launched by Grain Growers of Canada. And up first in today's country comment, I'll chat with Shannon Carvey, Executive Director of the Manitoba 4-H Council. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. The Manitoba government has signed a funding agreement with the Manitoba 4-H Council to support the organization with a $900,000 investment over three years. The funding will help the Manitoba 4-H Council deliver programming across the province to 102 4-H clubs for more than 1,000 members. Shannon Carvey is executive director with Manitoba 4-H. We are uh, grateful for our funding that we received from the Department of Agriculture and the Manitoba government. Um, It is a tremendous positive for our organization uh, in terms of programming for our members. Um, And some of that funding trickles down to our grassroots level uh, of our area councils. And they uh, do all, we have 10 area councils across the province. And they do a tremendous job of providing um, programming for their clubs in their specific areas, but it also helps um, with programming and um, project uh, manual development and printing, et cetera. So, it, yeah, it is a huge, a huge positive for us, and we are extremely grateful for their support. And we also saw $5,000 for um a life-size model cow simulator. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. We had a little bit of a dream a few years ago to purchase a, a life-size model cow that uh, simulates the birthing process of a calf. Um, and we, you know, we had a little bit of money uh, that we had used for some specific beef programming a while ago, and so we had it set aside. And uh, we had, you know, talked to a couple of sponsors, and they came on board, and uh, and so we needed you know, a little bit more money to finish the project up. And yeah, the department was uh, gracious enough to help us out uh, with the last little bit that we needed uh, to complete this project. So um, it is an exceptional educational tool that we'll be able to use for years to come. And uh, she'll be housed at uh, MBFI at Brookdale and be able to to be used as an educational piece for urban and rural uh, youth and adults alike uh, for years to come. Is that something that's on display this week at the fair? You betcha. We uh, we are showcasing clover uh, every day at 2.30 uh, on the Ag Action stage. So if anybody is interested at all in coming down and, and checking her out and seeing what she's all about, we have the vet staff uh, from the Verdant Animal Clinic here with us this week, and uh, they're here to answer any questions and do that calving, calving demonstration daily. For the rest of the week, you know, just tell us um, what other involvement 4-H will have uh, at the fair. Well, today, Tuesday, is 4-H Day. So um, we have the generous sponsorship of co-ops who have sponsored our 4-H tickets for the day. So we have lots of 4-H clubs uh, in-house today. And then the rest of the week, we will be here at our booth and and have our calving demo at 2.30. And then we have lots of fun craft uh, activities for kids to do. They can pop in and do some coloring or make a puppet or take a picture in our photo booth and make a, um, a chia pet 
so we have lots of activities going on. Just in general, you know, how are things going with 4-H, you know, in terms of enrollment and, and just um, participation in, in the clubs? The thing is, everyone, COVID has affected us um, as far as enrollment and registrations go, just because with the restrictions, we weren't able to do a lot of in-person programming. But um, we have done a tremendous amount of virtual programming over the last uh, two years, which has been really successful. Um, and our numbers are about half right now, but actually, uh, since the restrictions have lifted, we have several clubs that are deciding that, you know what, we could get through our 4-H year in the next uh, few months. Our 4-H year ends at the end of August, so we have lots of people deciding that they, you know, they could make, make their year work still. So uh, we're still accepting enrollments, and, uh, and we're happy to have clubs reorganizing uh, still now, so... That was Shannon Carvey, Executive Director with the Manitoba 4-H Council. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Beef Producers is encouraging farmers to take advantage of agri-recovery drought assistance funds. Here's General Manager Carson Callum. I think with the agri-recovery programs, definitely helped uh, many producers across the province uh, to address uh, impacts due to drought. We're still you know, encouraging producers to look at the program and see if they qualify and we're happy that you know the department continues to look at the program as well and see what sort of adjustments can be made to encourage or improve uptake of those dollars committed under agri-recovery. So overall I think the, the program has helped and uh, we keep seeing little tweaks along the way to, to help with uh, producer uptake. The deadline to apply is April 15th. Protein Industries Canada and a consortium of partners, including More Than Protein Ingredients out of Bowdoin, Alberta, is working on a $29 million project focusing on pea and lupins to create one of the most functional plant protein ingredients on the market. Kevin Magoo is CEO of More Than Protein Ingredients. This line will play a pivotal role in developing new plant-based proteins, starch, fibers, and sugars for Canadian food manufacturers that are looking for plant-based ingredients that deliver better functionality and improve sensory experience for the customers. For example, a plant-based protein that effortlessly emulsifies similar to an egg yolk used to produce mayonnaise. The facility is expected to be operational by spring of 2023 and will create 60 direct jobs and about 120 indirect jobs plus construction. And G3 is renewing its support of the Canadian Agricultural Safety Association's Be Grain Safe program by committing $45,000 for 2022. Be Grain Safe offers education about the risk of grain entrapment and provides rescue training and equipment for first responders. In 2022, Be Grain Safe will train firefighters in central Canada, and for the first time, training will be offered in French. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Wednesday, March 30th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler has details on a new climate solutions initiative launched by Grain Growers of Canada. The Grain Growers of Canada are leading a climate solutions initiative to help meet Canada's ambitious goal of net zero emissions by 2050. To find out more, Glenda Lee Allen-Vossler talked with Brandon Leslie, the GGC's Manager of Policy and Government Relations. Now, Brandon, Grain Growers of Canada is leading the Road to 2050 Net Zero Emissions Initiative. Take us through this. What is this all about? 
this all started uh, back in November. Uh, our board of directors was meeting uh, in Calgary during that brief period when we had a little bit of normalcy. Just post-election, and it became, uh, I think, more abundantly clear to our to our farmer directors that you know this was a space uh, in which um, our, our farmers need to be a little bit more of a leading voice on. I think we're all extremely proud uh, of our record of sustainability at the farm level, and farmers, you know, know better than anybody, as well as many rural Canadians. Uh, they recognize and they see what happens on the ground. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, governments uh, at the behest of Canadians, as per how they voted, are, are moving forward with environmental policies that are going to impact farmers. You know, at the end of the day, there are there are agricultural uh, emissions that, that do take place. And, uh, you know, I think it's balanced with uh, the, the food that we grow for Canadians and around the world. But at the end of the day, a lot of these policies that, that are uh, drafted and, and uh, sent out from Ottawa really don't have that same level of understanding of what actually happens at the farm gate. So uh, our farmer directors uh, decided that, well, we need to start making a move on this. And uh, in terms of, of net zero emissions, uh, the, the net zero term has, has been around for a little while, uh, and it's about 120 countries around the world have, have agreed to uh, achieve or seek to achieve uh, net zero emissions by, by 2050, and Canada is one of them, as well as every other G7 nation. And in terms of, of, of Canada, uh, last summer, just before uh, the House rose in the election last fall, uh, the, the government passed a bill called the Canadian Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act, uh, which outlines uh, the requirements the government has to take, which include uh, developing a plan of how they're going to reduce emissions for the next five years. In this case, it will be targeting 2030, a reduction of 40% of emissions and a number of re- reporting requirements and uh, tabling of documents in Parliament to to seek whether or not they're actually achieving their objectives. So with that said, it's, it's pretty clear that um, the government is going to be moving forward. There is uh, absolutely going to be an aspect uh, as it relates to agriculture in this. So the, the, uh, the language surrounding the road to 2050 is very much meant to line up with the government's objectives of uh, achieving net zero emissions by 2050, but with a real emphasis on having farmer voices at the table. You know, far too often, I think we we uh, we, we get taken for granted a little bit, and, and folks like myself are, are here at Ottawa working to try to get the government to understand what happens at the farm and, and what those policies coming out of Ottawa can mean for farmers. Um, but I think it's really vital that we be speaking the language of government uh, in, in terms of trying to try to move the needle. And, and more importantly, uh, as, as I'll get into here, this project is really meant to uh, to engage with government and provide recommendations of what those policies and programs that you know we know are going to be coming, how we can actually tailor them so that they can be uh, beneficial to farmers, whether it be financially or even just practical to farmers. You know, I think there's a that lack of education of what happens on the farm. Um, it, it just it it's not not available in Ottawa, and so there's an element of that. But you know, in a, in a big picture nutshell, uh, that's where it kind of started, and and where we got to today was the announcement of of that commitment of the start of the process. So you know, this is going to be several months of work ahead of us here, but uh, it, it did take quite a bit of work uh, to get to this point to, to make sure all our, our farmer members were were uh, understanding of of why we were going about this because it's uh, it's not a space we've occupied before, although a lot of other sectors have, but. Uh, a pretty big announcement for the Grain Growers of Canada. So take us through the process. The immediate next steps is we're going to kind of start to uh, continue, I would say, uh, reaching out to potential partners. So there's there's farm organizations uh, out there, and so one of which is Saskatchewan uh, Wheat Development Commission as kind of our first partner. Uh, they're not a member of the Grain Growers, so it's great to have them uh, lined up with us uh, as part of this announcement. But there's a lot of other uh, commodity organizations, uh, kind of think tanks or even, you know, agricultural colleges out there that are doing a lot of work 
uh, on the ground in this space in terms of emission emission reductions and sustainability initiatives. So uh, there's a lot of knowledge out there. So I think one of the first steps of the project um, will be trying to identify where we're at, um, knowing where we need to go, and then developing the process of how we think we can best achieve that. And so we're going to be releasing a request for proposal to have a consultant, an agricultural environmental type consultant, uh, author the report, uh, which will be, you know, is intended to be rather data driven and, and substantial. You know, we're not, we're not just hoping to write two pages and say, government, go do this. Uh, we want it to be data driven. That's, that's what governments often demand and, and rightfully so. So there's going to be quite a bit of legwork that goes into this, but in terms of engagement with farmers, you know, they're well represented on our board of directors uh, via all of the member organizations in, in the various provinces. Uh, but we also have a lot of experts within a lot of these organizations. So we're going to be striking an, an expert advisory committee uh, to work with the consultant to make sure that there is that uh, on-the-ground understanding of what will work for farmers uh, from an agronomy perspective, what will work for farmers from an economic perspective, and liaising with our sustainability committee um, throughout the process. So there's going to be a lot of uh, farmer involvement through, through the representative groups to make sure that you know this path uh, of road to 2050 isn't isn't veering off in a direction that doesn't make sense for farmers. Uh, as since it's the the whole point is to make sure that farmer voices are at the forefront here and and leading this conversation about emission reductions, not just being told what to do. We're already hearing the government talk a lot about concern over fertilizer emissions. Fertilizer emissions are a challenge, but, you know, I think a big piece of this conversation that we're going to be having on the road to 2050 involves innovation. You know, over the past 30 years, farming has changed so immensely, uh, both in terms of economic, uh, you know, yield productivity uh, and in terms of sustainability measures. You know, all the, all the work that farmers have done uh, to adopt no-till practices, for example, uh, buffer strips or carrying areas. There's a lot of work that's been happening on farm for, for decades that hasn't been recognized. Uh, and so, you know, an element of that is is recognition, but also an element of how we got there. You know, when we look at yield increases, especially at a time right now when we're seeing, uh, you know, global food insecurity at a level we haven't seen in generations, uh, we had short carryover stocks of a, of a number of commodities. And now with the, you know, the devastating war in Ukraine, uh, we have supply chain disruptions, shortages. There, there's a real worry out there. And so now's not the time for Canada to, to be backing down on the amount we're producing. And so we'll certainly be relaying that message uh, to government in terms of fertilizer uh, emission reductions that, that we need to be a, a global superpower. But, you know, we believe we, we can do both. We Farmers have for, law, for, for years now been adopting the 4R nutrient stewardship management practices uh, that, that are uh, reduce the number of emissions while making sure that we're practically applying in a precise manner the right inputs at the right time. Uh, at the right place at the right rate. Anybody that's looked at their fertilizer bill this year, they know they want to be judicious in how they're applying that fertilizer. But it's also critical to the success of, of the crop that year. So it's trying to strike that balance. So I think, again, that's, you know, when, when government says, oh, well, we should just we should just reduce emissions. Well, you need to talk with farmers about that. And I think that that's why it'll certainly be a part of the road to 2050. You know, that is a, one of the greenhouse gas emissions that will certainly be part of the conversation. But there needs to be that level of education and understanding from a farmer perspective of, again, what makes sense uh, economically and environmentally on farm. We want to be, on the, as I say, on the leading edge of this conversation uh, surrounding net zero emissions. There's a lot of work of, of how we're going to get there, but we know that farmers have a lot of these answers or you know, darn good suggestions to start with, and, and we can work with that. And it's, it's either that or kind of just being told what to do by government. And I think I, I, think I know which, which option farmers would prefer. 
I've been talking with Brandon Leslie. Brandon is the manager of policy and government relations with Grain Growers of Canada. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. An in-person public engagement session for the Plum Murray Watershed will take place March 31st at 6.30 p.m. at the Plum Cooley Community Hall. The Royal Manitoba Winter Fair is on this week in Brandon at the Keystone Centre. The annual general meeting for Manitoba Pork is planned for April 6th at the Fairmont, Winnipeg. You can register on the Manitoba Pork website. The Manitoba Sustainable Energy Association invites you to the annual Sustainable Energy Conference April 6th at the William Glesby Centre in Portage La Prairie. And Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiative is hosting grazing workshops April 12th to the 14th. One will take place April 12th at the Northdale Farm Site north of Brandon, April 13th at the Ericsdale Community Centre, and April 14th at the Grandview Kinsman Community Centre. You can register on the MBFI website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Wednesday afternoon. The Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute hosted a discussion on rail reliability this week. Wade Subkowicz is Executive Director at the Western Grain Elevator Association. It's important to start um, uh, a number of years ago talking about service reliability that we were seeing prior to the passage of Bill C-49 which was legislation intended to um, provide some balance and accountability between uh, railway companies and shippers. So we were getting uh, poor service um, up until about 2017, 2018. Uh, And then Bill C-49 passed. And then we had two years of pretty good service overall. It wasn't perfect, but but it was uh, acceptable, I would say, uh, rail service levels in 2019 and and 2020. And then... um, uh, you know, some some observers of the industry were were um, I guess thinking out loud or wondering out loud whether we turned a corner on our rail service woes of the past, and and now maybe we're entering a new era of um, uh, of uh, you know a more balance and, and and better service and the railway's ability to move the commodities. But but we we're also cautious about that thought because we knew the last two years we were in COVID. And there wasn't as much being shipped on other uh, from other sectors, certain other sectors. Grain was still moving. Grain was was essential, and, and rail was essential, deemed essential by the federal government. So, so we uh, you know, we were wondering what would happen when uh, other sectors picked up again, and, and perhaps if we had a cold winter, what would happen? And um, and this year, it all sort of did happen. We we had a drought this uh, this summer, as as uh, many of your of your uh, listeners would would know. Um, and uh, we at the time in in the middle of the summer, we were getting many concerns from our customers uh, from overseas and and domestically, wondering if there was going to be enough product for them and if they needed to source it elsewhere. And and we were assuring them at the time. You know, if if our track record over the last two years is is any indication, we, uh, we yes, we have a smaller crop, but the good news is we should be able to get it to you in a timely way. Um, well, it didn't it didn't play out that way because we had um, we had of course the the fires in BC and the, and then the flooding in BC, and then we had uh, a cold uh, colder than normal winter and and higher snowfalls and then 
uh, Omicron variant uh, ran through the workforces of, of the railway. So we, we didn't get the service that we had uh, expected to get. And even though we were, we were having, um, we had a crop size that was two-thirds of a normal crop size, we weren't able to, to move it in a timely way. And, and some of that we can control and some of it we can't. And, you know, when it came to the flooding, you know, there's, we, we acknowledge that there's not much that can be done about that. In fact, we were, we were impressed with the railway's ability to, to react to that as, as quickly as they did and get the lines up and running. And, and then come uh, January, we were expecting to, to start shipping again uh, in, in, a, in a real uh, a fulsome way. But that didn't happen. We were getting uh, really poor service in, in January and February. And um, so, so that's, that's sort of what happened this year from a grain perspective. And, and it really demonstrated to us that we haven't, there are a number of obstacles in the way um, uh, here, and some of them are controllable and some of them aren't controllable. And, uh, but, but they do, uh, they are based in, in some fundamental, um, fundamental issues, fundamental, I guess, immutable facts uh, that, that uh, where the competitive environment and the legislative environment allow certain things to happen from a system point of view. And, uh, you know, we just think from, from, a, from an economic perspective, there are, there are so many things that we could do as a country to control the things we can control in order to have our supply chains functioning properly. And I think during COVID, I mean, if, if it wasn't clear to, to the population and to the government that supply chains are important uh, before COVID, it, it should be now. And, and that they need to be preserved at all costs in order for the, the economy to continue to function properly, in order for our customers to continue to get product. Uh, I mean, frankly, right now, our, our reputation is, is, uh, is very, very bad with our customers. And um, so, you know, we, we, are, we have some ideas on what solutions uh, uh, we, we might be proposing or advocating for, but that's a state of affairs for grain right now. That was Wade Subkowicz, Executive Director at the Western Grain Elevator Association. He spoke this week during a webinar hosted by the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The Manitoba government has signed a funding agreement with the Manitoba 4-H Council to support the organization with a $900,000 investment over three years. The funding will help Manitoba 4-H deliver programming across the province, to 102 clubs for more than 1,000 members. The province also supported the launch of Clover, a life-size model cow simulator unveiled this week at the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair. Manitoba Agriculture provided $5,000 to help with the purchase of the simulator. Farmers will be looking at more opportunities for pulse production and processing in the near future. Protein Industries Canada and a consortium of partners are working on creating one of the most functional plant protein ingredients on the market using peas and lupins. Kevin Magoo is CEO of More Than Protein Ingredients. The innovation line will provide new market opportunities for farmers. This will enable the development of new protein sources for new crops such as lupins, enabling farmers to diversify their crops. It will enable the development of commercial scale protein extraction processes for new plant-based proteins that enable food manufacturers to develop new and improved alternative dairy and meat products. The $29 million project will see Protein Industries Canada invest $5.7 million, with the remaining invested by the other three consortium partners. The More Than Protein facility at Bowdoin, Alberta, is scheduled to be operational by the spring of 2023. 
and beef producers are being encouraged to take advantage of Agra Recovery Drought Assistance Funds. Carson Callum is General Manager of Manitoba Beef Producers. They've since made some tweaks to allow for some claiming of extraordinary expenses that uh, were due to drought. You know, if you had to haul water or if you had to harvest some of your own land that you don't normally do, such as cutting ditches and stuff, some of those expenses could be claimable in a declaration format. That was encouraging to see. And so it's really widened the scope of what is eligible. And we're still hoping that producers take a really hard look at it because, you know, the, the deadline that they extended is, is looming of uh, April 15th, and they had that extended for March 15th. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.